If you get bored listening to scripture, you should probably check your heart. For Samuel 25, then Samuel died and the Israelites gathered together and lamented for him and buried him at his home in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. Now there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel and the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The name of the man was Nabal and the name of his wife, Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. But the man was harsh and evil in his doings. He was of the house of Caleb. When David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, David sent 10 young men and David said to the young men, go up to Carmel to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, peace be to you and peace to your house and peace to all you have. Now I've heard that you have shears, your shepherds were with us and we did not hurt them, nor was there anything missing from them all the while that while they were in Carmel. Ask your young men and they will tell you, therefore let my young men find favor in your eyes for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever comes to your hand, to your servants, to your son David. So when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David and waited. Then Nabal answered David's servants and said, who is David and who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away each one from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I've killed for my shears and give it to men who I do not know where they are from? So David's young men turned on their heels and went back. And they came and told him all these words. Then David said to his men, every man gird on his sword. So every man girded on his sword and David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went with David and 200 stayed with the supplies. Now one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled them. But the men were very good to us, and we were not hurt, nor do we miss anything, as long as we accompanied them. When we were in the fields, they were a wall to us, both by night and day, all the time we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now therefore, know and consider what you will do, for harm is determined against our master and against all of his household. For he is such a scoundrel that one cannot speak to him. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, five seahs of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 cakes of figs, cake is in the Bible, and loaded them on donkeys. (laughs) And she said to her servants, go on before me and see I'm coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. So it was as she rode on the donkey that she went down under cover of the hill and there were David and his men coming down toward her. And she met them. Now David said, Surely in vain I have protected all that this fellow had in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed, all that belongs to him. And he has repaid me evil for good. May God do so, and more so also, to the enemies of David, if I leave one male of all who belonged to him by morning at light. Now when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face before David, and bowed to the ground. So she fell at his feet and said, On me, my Lord, on let me, excuse me, on me let this iniquity be. And please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. Please let not my Lord regard this scoundrel Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek harm from my Lord be as Nabal. And now this present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord, and evil is not found in you throughout your days. 
Yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life, but the life of my Lord shall not be found in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling. And it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel that this will be no grief to you, no offense of heart to my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your main servant. And David said to Abigail, blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me and blessed is your advice and blessed are you because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, surely by morning light, no males would be have left to Nabal. So David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, go up in peace to your house. See, so I've heeded your voice and respected your person. Now Abigail went to Nabal, and there he was, holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. Therefore she told him nothing, little or much, until morning light. So it was in the morning, when the wine had gone from Nabal, and his wife had told him these things, that his heart died within him, and he became like a stone. Then it happened after about ten days the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. So when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the case of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and kept his servant from evil. For the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal on his own head. And David sent and proposed to Abigail to take her as his wife. When the servants of David had come to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her saying, David sent us to you to ask you to become his wife. And she arose, bowed her face to the earth, and said, Here is your maidservant, and a servant to wash the feet of your servants of my Lord. So Abigail rose in haste and rode on a donkey, attended by five of her maidens. And she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. David also took Anoam of Jezreel, and so both of them were his wives. But Saul had given Michael, his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was from Galam. Whew! In closing... Uh, <laughs> You know, here's the deal, man. I can tell you what the story says, but there, there's a richness that happens when we listen to the scripture. For some of you, this is the most Bible reading you did all week. I actually just did you a favor. <laughs> the, the, the story is, it's, it's really quite simple. There, there's a few players in this story that we're going to focus on. Uh, I, I do want to note that Samuel died. It's sad, but we're going to move on. Um, there's David, there's Abigail, and there's Nabal, okay? David's out in the fields, and he's watching over the sheep of Nabal because it's shearing time. It was common practice that people would watch over sheep during shearing time because they needed to be watched. And so because they watched over these sheep, they went down to Nabal, and were like, hey man, can we get some food? Because we're watching your sheep. And Nabal's like, I don't even know who you are. You ain't getting no sheep, man. So then David's like, oh, okay, or you're not getting no food. So then David comes and is like, what? You're not going to feed us? All right, guys, we're going to war. We're going to kill this guy. Common response if you don't feed me, right? <laughs> you're going to feed me, I'm going to kill you. So then Abigail hears of this, and Abigail is Nabal's wife. And so then Abigail comes and is like, how can I make this thing right? So she runs down to David and talks to some of his men and is like, Dude, don't do this. And then she gets in front of David and is like, listen, you're going to be king. You're going to be a ruler. You're acting in haste. Don't go and kill my husband. His name, Nabal, actually means fool. Like there's no, he's a fool. Don't kill him, please. And so David listens to a woman and says, you're smart and I'm going to listen to you. 
And so there's a sermon there. So then he comes back and doesn't go to war with Nabal. And so Abigail goes back to Nabal and tries to talk to him, but he's having a party and he's drunk. So he can't listen to his wife either. So what happens? God strikes Nabal dead 10 days later. So now because he's dead, David's like, sweet, now I can move in on his wife because he's dead. (laughs) He goes in, takes her as a wife, right? I mean, we're not going to get into the whole wife thing of the Bible, but he's so excited. He goes and gets another wife (laughs) because his wife would be given to somebody else. Uh, We're not getting into that part. They, they, They all have a role to play in this story. And, and so what we're going to do is we're just going to talk for a few moments about these three different people. And what I want you to do is I want you to look at these three different people, look at yourself and say, okay, I, I, just living in this story, which person am I most like and which person should I be most like? What can I get from this? The, the first person I want to talk about is Abigail. Now, Abigail is the peacemaker in this story. Um, she, again, she goes to David and his men to share what's going on, try to influence and, and Abigail actually has a choice here that she can either defend her husband or defend what's right. She can say, you know what, I'm going to stand with my husband and go after David and kill David and destroy him. But what Abigail has, which is beautiful, is she has an idea of God's larger plan. So she can look at, at what's going on and be smart enough as a woman to say, you know what, if I don't get in the middle of this, these two dudes are going to kill themselves. Possibly they're both going to die. There's a sermon in there somewhere. The Bible says in Proverbs 12, 20, deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but counselors of peace have joy. There is always an interaction in a relationship where someone has to decide either I'm going to heap coals on this and stoke the fires of discontent, or I'm going to step in and I'm going to be a peacemaker. In this moment, Abigail decides and says, you know what? I can either light these flames of discontent and watch these two men go at it, or I can make the right decision and try to make peace. She actually becomes a peacemaker in this. Now, when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face before David, and bowed to the ground. And she said, on me, my Lord, on me, let this iniquity be. And please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. You know, as a kid, I grew up in uh, Ballard, the center of the universe. And, and there was an elementary school that, I, you know, I appreciate you still laugh at that after all these years. <laughs> Uh, and there was this play structure that uh, the neighborhood kids loved to go play on. It was at Greenwood Elementary School. And this, this play structure, in my mind, was probably about as bo- big as a city block. It was probably not, right? But it was, man, it was wicked cool. It was wooden. It was back with the, uh, the metal slides where you would, like, fry yourself if it had been in the sun. Remember those ones? It had ropes and climbing things. I mean, it, it was the kind of play structure that would not be allowed today because it wasn't safe, right? But man, we love this thing. Like we, we would, we, uh, the neighborhood kids would go up there and the, the route of it was such that you could run in circles and play tag. And I mean, if you were just looking for kids to play with, you could go up there and there was always kids up there playing and we'd be up there for hours. We loved it. It was, it was a treasure of my neighborhood growing up. And then one day somebody lit it on fire because it was made of wood, because that's what you do, right? You see something that's beautiful, and you see something that everybody loves, and you light it on fire. It, it, it was, there, there was such a, such a frustration and anger that went through all the kids of the neighborhood after that happened. 
that, that somebody, I don't know who it was, went and lit that thing on fire. Everybody in the neighborhood knew that this thing was valuable to us. Everybody knew that we loved it. But that person, in their evilness of heart, somehow thought, you know what? This is a joy to everybody else, but I get pleasure out of watching things burn that are valuable to other people. I don't want anybody else to be happy. I don't want anybody else to have joy. If there's anything anybody else has joy or love in, I'm going to destroy it because that's who I am. Some people are like that in relationships. They can't even love people. They can't even be in relationship with people. The only pleasure and joy that they have in life is watching people fight with each other and watching people destroy each other. And they love to interject themselves in relationships and and create friction and create problems and then just step back and watch it burn. Why? Because they don't have good relationships. Because they don't have love. They don't know how to do it. And so the only response they have is to light other people's lives on fire and watch it burn. Abigail doesn't do this though. She pleads with David. She begs him. Put the, so far that she even says, if there's an offense, put it on me. Yeah. That, that's, that's how committed she is to seeing this through, to be a peacemaker. She says, if there's a problem, put it on me. Let, 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 let whatever it is come on me. That's how much I want to make this thing right. She wants what is right, not what is self-serving or beneficial for herself. She wants peace. She understands that conflict helps no one. Destruction helps no one. Peace is better. She could have easily gone back to her husband, got him in a tiffy and watched the fight. She could have gone back and said, you know what, you what David said? Do you know what he's going to do? He brought his sword and he's going to go and he's going to fight. And then she could sit back and she'd be like, look at what I've created. Now there's a war and these men are fighting and I can watch it. The Bible says in Psalms 34, 14, to depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. What does it mean, folks? The story of our faith is that we are at peace with God through Jesus Christ. How can we not be peacemakers? Those of you that are Christians, you are an enemy of God. You were were repulsive in His sight, and He made peace with you through Jesus Christ. He forgave you and set you free from the law of sin and death. How can you not be a peacemaker in this world? The Bible describes Jesus as the Prince of Peace. Romans 15.33 says our God is a God of peace. We were vile sinners at war with God and God brought us close to Christ Jesus and forgave us and now we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. How can we not value peace in relationships? How can we get any sort of value with, with hating people and destroying people and creating problems with people? I don't know. Honestly, I don't know how people do it. When, when I have a relational friction with anybody, I can't even sleep. I can't eat. It makes my stomach hurt. I feel like it's an offense to God. I feel like God is looking at me saying, Matt, make it right. It's not right that you're at war with this person. And I always wonder people that don't feel that way. I'm like, what, what's inside of your heart that you just love it? Yeah. You just love that feeling of just, yeah. How dare we have the audacity to create strife and division instead of creating peace? Yeah. Now, I always have to do my little side notes. This isn't a call to pacifism. There is a time to engage and stand yeah. for your personal safety. This is more in the church and in your relationships. 
The Bible says in Hebrews 12:14 to pursue peace with most people and holiness. Oh, just seeing if y'all are listening. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. If you, if you find that you have difficulty feeling, seeing, seeing the presence of God in your life, maybe it's because you're not pursuing peace. Everyone, family, neighbors, friends, strangers, whoever. You don't have to be friends with the person, but you do have to make it right. You have to try and make peace with them. You know, my wife is uh, the best person ever. And, and uh, you know, y'all don't have to admit it that hard, okay? <laughs> All the crystals, people like, amen. And uh, I remember when we first moved to Kent and uh, we lived in this apartment building. And, um, you know, a, a apartment living and even neighborhood living, the, the greatest wars that happen in those situations are over what? You know what it is? Parking. It's always parking, man. Police officers, my dad was a Seattle police officer. He said he used to respond to more calls about parking than anything else. People feel like they own that space in front of their house. Someone's parked in front of my house. And the apartment's no different that somehow people seem to think that this is my spot. And so, you know, we're church planters and fresh out of the army and I'm working a bunch of hours. And so we started having a parking war with our neighbor. Uh, we weren't really at war. We were just parking and we created some sort of war because she had lived there for a lot of years. And so she would bang on our door and get out of my spot. And uh, like, if you are, if you're that type of person, just stop. Okay. Park your car somewhere else and move on. Okay. No one likes you when you do that. But anyway, it was just, it was, it was hard. And we were trying to be nice to this, this family but we could never park in the right place. <laughs> it was just like, we couldn't get over it. And, and, and some people would say, well, you know, you have a right and everything else. And yeah, it's true, but like, you don't want to live in that type of situation. We didn't have a lot of money at the time. We had just gotten out of the army and um, we're trying to plant the church and we're just trying to rub two nickels together. And somehow Crystal scraped together enough money to buy herself a new jacket. And so she bought a new jacket she came home, she was parking, and the gal was coming out, and the spirit fell on Crystal and said, give this lady your new jacket. Now, if you know my wife with her clothes, <laughs> if that wasn't the spirit of God, I don't know what is. There's two things my wife loves. She loves jackets and shoes. She loves them. And so the spirit of the Lord fell on her and said, like, give her, give her your jacket. And, 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 and Crystal was like, ugh. Okay, Lord, I'll be obedient. And she came and, and offered this jacket to this lady. And the lady kind of looked at her like, why are you giving me a jacket? I've been nothing but mean to you ever since you moved into this place. And Crystal's like, God told me to give you my jacket. And so I'm just giving you this jacket. Now, after that, they, were, they, they weren't nice to us, but they didn't bother us after that. And we sure saw that gal wearing that jacket. You'd be surprised at how much peace that you can bring in other people's lives when you're obedient to what God asks you to do. The Bible says in Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceable with all men. What are you doing to be a peacemaker? What conversations are you having at work, at home, and at church? A course word is said, do you stop it or do you pile on and watch the flames? Stop it before it continues. 
Abigail saw the big picture, the future of Israel and David's life. She sought peace. Secondly, Nabal, he was very prideful. He's a prideful man. Verse 10, then Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David and who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away, each one from his master. And, and, and here's what's going on in this story. Nabal, whose name means fool, is showing his foolishness in this story. I don't know if he actually, I, I, I couldn't figure it out. I don't know if he really knows who David is and he's kind of like putting him down like, Psh, who's David? Like, I'll take, him, I'll take him down. Or if he's so ignorant that he's not apprised of what's really going on around him, that he doesn't know who David is. But again, during sheep shearing time, it was common practice for other people to watch the sheep because the shepherds were so busy shearing that they didn't have time to watch the sheep. So other people would come around, watch those sheep for the shepherd, and it was common practice to reimburse these fellows for the work that they are done. And, and, but Nabal's a fool. He's like, you know, he, he says, I'm not going to give these guys any money. He's got greed in his heart and everything else. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 23, that a man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. Nabal is about to be brought really, really low because of his pride. Because he refuses to realize what's going on in this honor culture. He's not going to honor. He's not going to honor God. He's not going to honor David. What is he concerned with himself and his own stuff? It's pride. He's not listening. He's not paying attention. Oftentimes the prideful will be confronted and they have a choice to humble themselves. And if you're a prideful person, a lot of prideful people don't even know they're prideful because they're so prideful they can't even see their pride. <laughs> Let that one sink. But oftentimes people will lovingly try to correct you and say, hey man, check your pride. And in that moment you have a chance to either respond or just become more prideful and Nabal just becomes more prideful. Here's what you've got to understand about pride. Folks, there, there's not an ounce of pride that any one of us can have before God and men. None. Not at all. And, 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 and we live in this self-centered, uh, self-esteem world where, you know, the self-esteem fairy drives through the street in a little cart throwing out esteem to people. And, and, and the Bible just doesn't say that. Your, your value is only found in Jesus Christ. Nothing else. I was a vile sinner in need of a savior. I was nothing. And God saved me and he set me free. How, pride is this idea that, that I'm better than someone or I deserve something or that I, 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 have, I have a right to be respected. What are you talking about you have a right to be respected? You're, you're nothing. I'm nothing. He's everything. But yet Nabal is filled with pride. The, the Bible says in Proverbs 16, 5, that everyone proud in his heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, none will go unpunished. God hates pride. He hates it. Abomination means hate. God's white hot, hot wrath looks down on the prideful and goes, we can take care of that. God's plans, God's purposes, and His peace should be above our pride. Someone makes you look bad, so what? You get taken advantage of, so what? 
Someone else gets it, so what? You deserve nothing. You're worth nothing. Obadiah 3, the pride of your heart has deceived you. You who dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? I'll tell you who, God Almighty, ruler of heaven and earth. If you don't check your pride before God, God will, God will do whatever he needs to do to bring you low. He will do it. I've seen it many times. And people say, well, why does he do that? Because he so desperately wants to be in relationship with you. And you as a Christian say, God, I want to serve you. I want to know you. I want to love you. My life is in your hands. God hears you when you say it. And he says, you know what? I'll do what I need to do to bring you to a place where you're finally broken and you'll submit to me. Your life quits being about you. What is the view that you have of yourself? What do you think you deserve and deserve to get? Galatians 6.3 says, For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. This idea of self-value is a value of the world. It's not a story in the Bible. Jesus did not die on the cross because you were so good. He died on the cross because he was good. I wasn't even worthy enough to die for. And I I understand that you hear that everywhere. They say, man, you are so worthy to be able to die. How? You are a filthy, vile sinner. I'm worthless to God unless I'm washed. I'm worthless to God unless I've been set free. People twist the gospel into a story about how awesome you are instead of how awesome God is. Isaiah 66, 2, but on this one I will look on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. I have no right whatsoever to have any demands or requirements. God chose to make us, to love us, to save us, to deliver us. Someone may take advantage of you all day, hurt you, put you down, and Jesus is still on the throne. So what do we do? We stay humble. We take correction, we forgive, we love, we stay humble. The Bible says in Matthew 23, 12, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The end result of Nabal's life was that he got drunk and God killed him 10 days later. Remember, Jesus is God. The loving hippie Jesus is the same God that killed Nabal. God doesn't play. He doesn't doesn't look. God has not changed. The Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And and for those those of you that are are saved, man, do you not remember the day you got saved? Do you not remember the day you went before God and said, God, take my life into your hands. Do what you need with me and take what you want from me. I want nothing else but you. And then it just turns into this demanding relationship of like, well, you know, he hadn't done much for me yet. So when you, when you got married and you went with your spouse, you were just so excited to be married. And then time goes on. It's like, man, how come you don't make me waffles anymore? And you're lucky enough that they chose to marry you. Psalm 138.6, though the Lord is on high, yet he regards the lowly. But the proud he knows from afar. The proud he knows from afar. God sees the prideful coming. The prideful is a wicked abomination in the eyes of God. We would do well to squash our pride. 
ask yourself this. Do you always blame others for the problems in your life? Do you never own your own stuff? Do you elevate yourself? Do you think yourself better than others? Do you think that you're above someone or above talking to someone? Do you believe that you're better than somebody else that may not be at a higher status in your work or your neighborhood or your church? Do you regard them as lowly and you as high? Do you minimize the sin in your life? Do you look, look and say, ah, it's not that big a deal. God, I, I'm good on so many levels that God will look past me on this one. Is it always about you? Do you desire others to envy you? Years ago, I, I knew a man. And uh, he had been a Christian for, I don't know, <laughs> maybe he was a Christian. He claimed to be a Christian for, I don't know, 15, 20 years. And I remember I was talking to him and I was like, hey man, what, what are you working on? Like what, what are the things that God is working on inside of you? And he was like, I ain't got nothing to work on. What? How do, you, how do you not have anything to work on? It's like, I've handled all my stuff. Like I went through it and I dealt with it. And it's, uh, it's all taken care of. I said, so in everything in your life, there's not one thing that you're working on. No. No, I'm good. You know, it kind of blew me, right? Because I like in my mind, I'm like, well, maybe I'm not good, right? I remember I went and I talked to Pastor Steve. To to me, I just think Pastor Steve is so beautiful. And I was like, and so I asked him. I said, Pastor Steve, I said, how long have you been serving God? He was like, I don't know, brother, about 45 years, you know. And I'm like 44, right? And I said, I said, Pastor, I said, do you still have stuff that you're working on, brother? How much time you got? And I was like, all right, I'm good. Oh my goodness. Lord, there's so much I still am working on. So many things I'm trying to get right. I, 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 and and, and, and it's, it's just an encouragement to you, man. If you've got stuff that you're working on, praise God. But if you don't, write a book, man. Write a book. Call it the Bible and tell us how you did it, right? Here's the last guy we're going to talk about is David. Now, David, let's be honest here. David didn't start out well in this regard. <laughs> okay. His initial response to Nabal was, let's put on our swords and let's kill this dude. He, he wanted to attack when he didn't get the food. As an eater, I can completely agree with that. But when Abigail... The woman, and I, I want to include that because I, I have a very high view of women, specifically in the Bible and in this life. God, God can use a woman just as well as he can use a man. And if you don't believe that, you don't read your Bible. Abigail came and got in the future king's face about it. And then the future king repented and admitted wrong. He said to her, and blessed is your advice and blessed are you. Because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. David listened to Abigail. He took her advice and didn't go to war. He listened about his future. Men, how many of you can say amen that your wife has saved you from much peril in your life? Oh, dude, listen to your wife. There's so many times my wife is like, I wouldn't do that if I were you. 
dude, listen. Sometimes men were butts. David in this story were just like, we're going to war. Wife is the Abigail going, come on, honey. This probably isn't the best plan. We're loading it up. No, this is the day. Can I get an amen? I, honey, I love you. You're so good to me. The Bible says in Proverbs 28, 13, he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. David shouldn't have had a heart to go to war with Nabal. It, was, it wasn't really that kind of issue, man. It became a pride issue to David as well. Who is this son of Jesse? I'll tell you who this son of Jesse is. I got 400 dudes. We about to roll on you, son. <laughs> Here's the principle. When someone else confronts you, how do you respond? Will you double down on your pride and die like Nabal, a fool? Or will you repent and live? See, pride is what keeps somebody from penitence. Pride is what keeps somebody from penitence. Because, like, and, and here's the thing, man. If you've ever been confronted in being wrong, and this happens a lot in my life. Why? Because I talk faster than I think, and I act faster than I think. And so a lot of times I'll end up stepping on people's toes and offending somebody with my mouth or my actions or whatever. I don't plan on that. I'm just so like, like, I just forget. And so someone will come to me usually my wife and kids or people in this church, I'm like, hey man, you kind of like hurt me here. And in my mind, I'm like, you know what I mean? (laughs) And then that still small voice inside me is like, and I'm like, dude, I'm so sorry. Would you please forgive me? I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to do that. You're, and, and they are, they're 100% right, and I'm 100% wrong. But that initial flare of fleshly pride comes up and is like, well, I don't want to even admit, I'm so embarrassed of what I did, I'm, I don't even want to admit it because it's not that I don't want to let you know, I don't even want to admit it to myself how dumb I was. <sighs> pride says, how will I be viewed? Penitent says, how can I be made right before God? Ezekiel 18.21, but if a wicked man turns from all of his sins which he has committed, keeps all my statute and does what is lawful and right, he shall surely live, he shall not die. Folks, sin is sin. Sin is destructive. Continuing in sin never produces life. You must repent verse 32 it says then David said to Abigail blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me and blessed is your advice and blessed are you because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand for indeed as the Lord God of Israel lives who has kept me back from hurting you unless you had hurried and come to meet me surely by morning light no males would have been left in a ball so David received from her hand what she had brought to him and said to her go up in peace to your house see I have heeded your voice and respected your person you know when a preacher preaches a message uh, whether it's myself or anybody else on Wednesday and, 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 and something is spoken and it pricks your spirit and you're like what right do they have to say that to me you should say thank you that you, 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 you should say, thank you, Lord, that you love me enough to redirect this whole entire message to get me right with you. Yeah. 
Thank you, God, that, I, that I'm planted in a church that loves me enough to preach the word to me. That's protecting me from evil. That's guiding me in paths of righteousness. And I'm not immune to it, man. I'm not immune to it at all. <gasps> man, we were at Pastor Kerry's church this week, and the Holy Spirit just, oh, I, I literally, I was in the middle of a sermon sobbing uncontrollably because of what the Holy Spirit had spoke to me about something in my life that needed to change. And I, yeah, praise God. Yeah. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you. But it's pride that keeps you from being connect, corrected. Think about the Bible in this place, man. A woman had no place to rebuke a man, let alone a king, but David received it. Who in your life is trying to get you back on track and you're rejecting? Is it me as your pastor? Is it your spouse? Is it your friend? Are you living a life of repentance? If you haven't turned to God, the Bible declares that you're still in your sins and will die an eternal death and be tormented for eternity. What is repentance? It's very easy. It's sorrow. It's sorrow and turning. 2 Corinthians 7.10 For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Do you have any sorrow about what you have done? Do you have any sorrow about the way that you have lived? Have you gone to God and said, God, forgive me of this sin. I've wronged you. I've hurt you. It's not that I've hurt others. I've hurt you, God, because you're a holy God deserving of, of my love. And I haven't loved you. I've loved my sin instead. Acts 17.30, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. And what does that look like? It's sadness and change. Repentance is sadness. It's, it's, it's the reality of hurting God, of hurting somebody else. And then you change. You, you don't continue to do it and say, well, I was sad about it, but I'm still going to do this to you every single day. No, that's not how it works. Not at all. Revelation 3.19 says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. The conviction of the Lord is a love cry to be in relationship with him. When you feel the conviction of God... Respond to it. If, if you feel like there's something in your life that needs to be made right before God, respond to it. If, if you feel like you're far from God and you want to be near to Him, respond to it. Because the Bible says, last verse, Acts 3.19, Repent therefore and be converted. You need to be changed that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. When, when you operate in pride and you live in pride, you, you live, a, you, you live a, a poisonous existence. But man, when you repent, ah, refreshing. <laughs> man, you sleep easy. You're, when you're not at war with anybody and you're not at war with God, man, I sleep good. I sleep really good because I'm, a, I'm not at war with God and men. Amen? Amen? Amen. Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? <laughs> pray that this message spoke to you. Not that I spoke to you, but that God spoke to you. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you've never been forgiven of your sins. Friend, don't let this day pass if you're far from God and you're given an opportunity to be near to Him.
you've never been forgiven of your sins and you'd like to be forgiven, if you've never given your life to the Lord and turned away from sin, and you'd like to do that for the first time, I want to pray with you. I want to ask you to raise your hand and say, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus. I see that hand. Is there anybody else? again because you've been far from him. If you need to do that, would you raise your hand and say, that's me. I need to give my life to Jesus. <laughs> I think the word of the day is pride. If you've got some pride in your heart that you need to 